Church, two weeks ago, uh, we began a series timed with the approaching new school year called Act Like a Kid. And uh, a quick review of where we've been. Many of us in the room haven't been here the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, the Gospel Challenge um, reminded us that small babies, according to Jesus, are first-class receivers. You touch a baby on a cheek, they're ready to eat. You give a baby a blanket, they're ready to uh, cuddle in and snuggle. And Jesus challenged those of us who are no longer physical babies to receive God's grace the way the smallest of children know how to receive. Jesus says this, Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And last week's gospel story was about how a small boy trusted Jesus with his lunch. Five little loaves of bread, two fish, and how Jesus took that modest lunch and turned it into an absolute feast for 5,000 plus people. Little kids are willing to share as long as they know that it's going to be a fair share. When we trust God with our modest resources... God always does more than what is fair. With the time that we give him, with the stuff that we entrust to him, with our skills and talents that we lay out for him, God goes way above and beyond whatever could be considered fair. Today's gospel lesson is all about prayer. Keeping in mind that we are to receive the kingdom of God like a small child, I suggest this image for us today. Soon classrooms everywhere will be filled with kids doing exactly this. What does this mean when you raise your hand? <laughs> Pick me. That could mean so many things. I need to go to the bathroom. I know the answer. Or I would think most routinely, I have a question. I need some help. Could you clarify? What are you talking about? What just happened? When a kid raises a hand, any number of things could be going on. And I would humbly submit that if we are just little kids, and if God is our good parent, that this is a great posture. I mean, in one way, it demonstrates our smallness. We are just little toddlers who are reaching up for our parent's hand. Yes, but this morning, this is also a sign that God... We might need a little help. We might need some attention. We might have a question about some things. Here's what Luke chapter 11 says. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. I'm going to stop right here for a second. Now, this is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Of all the biblical writers, Luke is the writer who always goes out of his way to give you the names, the places, the dates about everything, and yet he starts this passage, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Could he be any more vague? Know what I'm saying? Why is he so vague? The only reason I can think of is that Jesus was praying so frequently that it was so his habit and pattern that no one could remember the particular day or time that this scene happened because Jesus was always praying. 
which is beautiful instead of vague. So one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples, and if we could all be the voice of the disciples, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John the Baptist taught his disciples. So this is a great question. I imagine like one of the disciples almost like raised their hand or like, uh, Jesus, you're, we know you pray. We know you're connected to God in a way we can't imagine. Would you teach us to pray? I'm also happily encouraged by this because Jesus' disciples, even though they walked with him for years, still recognized they didn't know how to pray yet. Like when it comes to prayer, we are beginners. Even if you have been walking with the Lord for 60 years, uh, we're still beginners in the school of prayer. One thing I would observe as a pastor, rarely do I come across someone who's like, you know what, my prayer life is just rock solid and watertight. I mean, I'm totally content with how much I pray, with the experience of prayer. I mean, God regularly speaks to me. It's like I have this time, and every day it's just perfect right afterwards. Like, nobody feels that way. (laughs) So if you feel like a beginner in the school of prayer, welcome to the club, and welcome to the club that Jesus' own disciples started. So Jesus' amazing response to this question, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like you. This is how it goes. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, and if you've been to church before, this should sound a little familiar, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So that might sound familiar, but not totally familiar, right? Because when we pray the Lord's Prayer together in church, typically we use the version that's found in the Gospel of Matthew, or kind of a mashup between Luke's and Matthew. In the Gospel of Luke, this is all Jesus says. There's no, to God be the glory forever and ever, amen even. There's no amen at the end of this prayer. What Jesus is doing here is not teaching magic words to his followers. Jesus is laying down tracks, a path to guide the spiritual life of his followers and keep them pointed toward God. Jesus gives us awesome, deep prayers, but he leaves, us up, leaves it up to us to put flesh on the bones of that prayer to put our lives and ourselves into this prayer, to give this prayer life. Notice how huge these things are. If we pray, God, hallowed be your name. God, make your name holy. God, where is your name being made holy? God, is my life reflecting holiness? Like, if you just pray, hallowed be your name, and move on, like you're missing a vast kingdom of prayer. Jesus is inviting us to think on the holiness of God and the righteousness of our own lives. Oh, goodness. Like, that's big. God, your kingdom come. What does that mean? God, what does your kingdom look like? Where do I see little glimpses of the way it's supposed to be? 
How does my house, how does my relationship with my roommate, how does my classroom like, reflect what I know about your kingdom? How can I make it look a little more like your kingdom? Like, oh my goodness, this, just this one line is immense and huge. Give us today our daily bread. Is that the only thing Jesus thought we would ask for? Just a little bread, God, and I'm totally good. <laughs> Jesus gives us this line because he is letting us know it is okay to pray for everything we need, body, soul, spirit, and bread is just the stand-in. Jesus says, it's okay to ask God for everything you need. This is huge. Forgive us our sins. That's a pretty big topic. As we also forgive those who sin against us. That's a vast topic. It's so easy to say that line. It's so, if you do a daily inventory of your life and think about everybody who has nicked you or wronged you or everything that has yanked your chain, like if you do that at 10 p.m. before you go to bed, like you'll be up till midnight every day, just like naming it. And Jesus is not giving us magic words. He is giving us a prayer that he intends us to bring life to. And his, Jesus' preference for all of us is to lay all of ourselves before God. Not just with spoken prayer, but that our lives lived in the presence of God are our prayer. Here's what I know about adults. Actually, by the time most of us are six or seven years old, we figured out, I need to behave this way when I'm at home, this way when I'm at school, this way when I'm at church, this way when I'm on the bus. Like, we learn the rules, right? And then we as adults, we spend so much time trying to hide ourselves, cover ourselves up, just present the shiny, happy version of ourselves or the agreeable version of ourselves for whatever that particular group or situation calls for. Like, we're so good at this. Little kids, two-year-olds, are not very good at this. Know what I'm saying? Or if you know a two-year-old who is really good at this, like, watch out. Because <laughs> they'll one day be emperor of the planet. Little kids are not yet jaded enough or socially clever enough to create a persona. A semi-true, semi-false version of themselves that's socially acceptable. Two-year-olds simply are who they are. For better or for worse, they are integrated people. Right? They are just themselves no matter where they go. And then we as parents just try to discipline that out of them as soon as we can. Jesus is recommending a similar way of us as grown-ups, as older kid followers of him, of simply being ourselves in the presence of God. Because really, what does God not know about us? So what would be off limits for prayer then? Or for talking to God about Jesus is recommending for us a totally honest, lay it on the table way of being with God that is a life of prayer. Uh, this sermon is going to be augmented by a moment with Andy Pasick, our youth director, and Kara Hackert, our children's ministry director. Um, Andy is going to tell a story on the video about... Um, camping with his own kids that gives a little illustration 
about uh, all of life being prayer through a kid's experience. Take a look. So I had an incredible opportunity uh, last week to take my family camping in Wisconsin. And it was great. It's a place that I've been multiple times before, but this time I got to bring my family and I got to share this with my children. And I got to see this place through their eyes. I got to see this place specifically through my son Eli's six-year-old eyes. And as we would hike, he would go, oh wow, look at how amazing this is. And as we were at the top of a cliff looking out over this lake, he yelled to his sister, Bibi, Bibi, come here. Can you believe it? God made this. God is the best. God's the best thing in the whole wide world. And my daughter would look at him and say, it's true. But it's not just God. It's God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And this was awesome when we were up at the top of the cliff and I could see them looking out over this incredible creation and recognizing that it was God that made this, that it was God that created this for his enjoyment and for him to enjoy us as we looked out over it. Later on, my wife and I were preparing dinner and my two kids were sitting by the fire and they were having a conversation and they were talking about how God's the greatest thing in the entire world and they started to have an argument over how God isn't the greatest thing in the world. God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the greatest thing in the world. And they started to go back and forth and it was like the best argument I ever heard them have in their entire life because they were awed everywhere that they looked and they were awed by this incredible God who loves us so much to create all this. Everywhere they would go, they would just yell out, God's the best! And then we'd go over here and then, God's the best! And they continued to yell this our entire trip through camping. And it was one of the truly most amazing things that I've ever seen with all this beauty displayed, but truly the heart of a child understanding that God is the best. So, for sure. <clears throat> little Trinitarian theology with a six-year-old and a ten-year-old. Uh... So what Andy's kids get, and he'll be the first to tell you, they're not 100% perfect kids or anything, but just the idea of a little kid camping and like raising their hand and being like, this is incredible, and crediting God with it. Like that is pure prayer. And it's not beyond those of us who are older either. If you end up at the Arboretum later today, if you end up walking down Salt Creek and seeing a wood duck, like Raising a hand and being like, this is awesome, is a beautiful thing to do. It's not just the positive side of life, friends. When we encounter things that bruise us or damage us, or when we see with our eyes that the life of the world is being harmed, that is the right time to raise your hand and ask why, or what's going on, or we need some help in this classroom called Planet Earth. Nothing is off limits with our God. Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 11 and gives a little illustration of how he intends for this to work out. So Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and then you go to this friend at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose that the one inside the house answers, Don't bother me. The door's locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. 
Jesus told the story not to Americans, right? He told the story to Palestinians, folks of Middle Eastern descent. I mean, we Americans at the end of a work day, if you have a car, you drive in your garage, you put the door up, you put your car in, you check to see nobody's like creeping on you, you put the door down, and then you stay home for the rest of the night. Like, for better or for worse, this is our ways. It's kind of annoying if somebody knocks on your door or even calls your home phone line these days. Like, we generally keep to ourselves. This is not the way in most of the world's cultures. In Middle Eastern culture, if you knocked on a friend's door any time in the evening and needed to entertain someone, what you wanted your village and your neighborhood to be known for was, above all things, for kindness and good hospitality. So when the story that Jesus tells, when a friend knocks on another friend's house, even at midnight, the expectation is you would bend over backwards to literally roll out a short red carpet and share whatever food and drink was in your possession to make this guest feel welcome. Now, the initial response of the person on the inside of this house being petitioned for bread is, uh, right? They're not doing their part. They're not holding themselves up to the high standard of their village. And then Jesus says this, I tell you, even though he will not give up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, this verse would kind of imply that when it comes to prayer, what Jesus is seeking for from us is shameless audacity with God. Like, this is not a bad quality. It means being persistent, being bold, like you're going to keep knocking at the door until, I guess, God, the one inside, gives you what you need. If you look in most modern translations, there is a footnote in almost every Bible that offers an alternative translation of the word that here is rendered shameless audacity. And the alternate reads like this. I tell you, even though he will not give, get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet in order to preserve his good name, his reputation, the reputation of the village, he will surely get, get up and give you as much as you need. Can't get into the complicated linguistics of this right here and right now. Personally, I think this is what Jesus was talking about. What, what does this verse say about God? If, if getting answers to prayer depends on our shameless audacity, then I think what would be being recommended is like us praying like a three-year-old in a car seat. Turn left, mommy. Turn left. Turn left. I want a popsicle. I want a popsicle. I want a popsicle. Popsicle! I learned a new phrase this week called toddler looping. Does this, this is what I'm talking about. When a two-year-old grabs onto a phrase and just, red fire truck, red fire truck, red, red truck, red fire truck. I mean, little kids can go on forever. This is not the kind of prayer that God is looking for from us. But when we, as God's children, call upon God's reputation and his good name in the world, hmm, then we're putting our spirit where our mouth is. 
Again, let me stick with the popsicle. If a three-year-old asks a parent for a popsicle 25 times in a row, is the parent's likelihood of giving that child a popsicle going up or going down? It's going down fast, right? But what if a three-year-old asks for a popsicle this way? Hey, Daddy, want to share a popsicle with me? I want to walk with you. Seriously, every parent in the world is going to give that kid a popsicle. Right? You're not nodding. You are stone cold, people. I mean, seriously, if a three-year-old says, hey, I'd like one of these and I want to share it with you, Mommy. Like, you are never going to say no to that kid. Good thing all the kids are in children's worship already, right? Because I (laughs) totally just gave them the secret code to everything. But it is like this with God. When we just throw rocks at heaven's door, here's what we need, God. Here's what I'd prefer to see. Like, that is going nowhere spiritually fast. But when we say to God, God, this is what I long to see, and I want to meet you there, then we give God permission, like, to bring his presence to bear, not just to answer our request, but to meet us there in the midst of whatever is missing or we are desiring or longing for. We are getting dangerously close to real prayer, I believe, when we describe it this way, when we just don't want to see our Christmas list checked off, but where we are asking the Lord Jesus to show up and meet us in the midst of whatever we are longing to see in the world or our own lives. There is one more little part to this passage. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Notice in that second paragraph, Jesus says, everyone. If you're old, are you part of everyone? If you are a tiny kid, are you part of everyone? You are. If you are healthy, are you part of everyone? If you're sick, if you have a criminal record, are you part of everyone? If you are just addicted and hooked on something, are you part of everyone? If you just got a promotion, if you are struggling with mental illness, if you're a professional Christian, praise God, you're part of everyone. Everyone. Jesus is saying, you can't escape the goodness of God, no matter who you are, when you lay your life before him. All it takes is an honest desire to know and experience God. When that desire is there, it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, or what you've been up to recently. Like, God honors that desire to meet him and commune with him and abide with him and to do something genuinely good in your life. It might not be the good that you're asking for, something even better than the good that you have previously imagined. Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if your kid asks for an egg, 
would give him a scorpion. And Jesus is much funnier than we give him credit for, I think. I mean, when he, ge- when he gives these examples, one of the reasons I think he picks food is because kids in every culture everywhere are always asking for something to eat. I'd like a popsicle. How about an ice cream cone? Can I have a Rice Krispie treat? Hey, can we have dinner? We just ate dinner 10 minutes ago. I'm hungry again. Like, Jesus gives all these examples about kids are about food. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the first example Jesus gives is, uh, if, if your kid asks for a loaf of bread, a round thing, would you give them a rock instead? You know, like another round thing. Of course not. And the second one is, if he asks for a fish, and Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, would you give them, and the word for snake is actually like this creepy, gross-looking eel fish thing with no fins that comes out of the Sea of Galilee. Like, would you give them one of these horrible sea creatures instead? Or if he asks for a scorpion, which when they're at rest, curl up into a ball about the shape of an egg, you know, would you give them that instead of an egg? Of course not. And a parent in a really good mood, when your kid asks for some bread, not only do you not give them a stone, but maybe you give them another round thing, a donut. Or when your kid asks for a fish, instead of giving them this gross sea creature, kids don't like fish in America very much. Maybe you give them a Chick-fil-A instead. Right? Like, something even better. It is so fun to give a kid something unexpectedly good. I hope you've had this experience. Like, you know, you walk by a candy store, a kid is just expecting, ah, we're going into a department store. And then you take a surprise right turn and buy them a sucker, and the kid is like, ah! This is how Jesus is describing God here. Kids are so good at receiving surprise gifts. Kids are good at receiving. That was two weeks ago. Kids are good at sharing their fair share. That was last week. Kids are good at raising their hand and asking. And if you surprise and spoil a kid with something that is extra good, my experience with little kids is they typically are great at passing on the surprise of what they've just received. Uh, Every week, downstairs in children's worship, this is where Kara Hackert is right now, um, our kids are coached into the lovely art of giving and sharing. Kara's going to say a short word about what they've been up to in this past year. This is Harriet. She's a very important person downstairs. She is a first or fifth grade children's worship sponsor child. And if you ask any of your kids about her, they might be able to tell you that she's from Uganda. They could tell you that she has nine brothers and sisters. Perhaps they'll tell you that she wants to be a nurse when she grows up or that she loves to play with dolls. They can probably tell you these things, but what I know they can tell you is what we gave her for Christmas last year and probably what we gave her for Christmas the year before and even the year before that. Because while we take an offering for Harriet each week and that money goes for her food and her clothes, what our kids love the most is when we buy Harriet an extra special gift. 
especially for Christmas. It's a big deal. We brainstorm different things that she might need or want. We debate about it a little bit. And then as a whole large group, we vote on what we're gonna give Harriet that year. We've given her a cow, a bright pink soccer ball, medical kits, coloring supplies, a dress, a doll, all kinds of fun things that our kids have picked out. Two years ago, we gave her money to buy sheep for her family. Her and her dad went to the market or wherever they buy these things and they picked out these two pregnant sheep. Harriet wrote us a fantastic letter. She was so excited about the sheep. And then she also got to use the extra money to buy her brand new doll. Our kids love hearing back from Harriet. They love giving her these gifts. They love that they can share what they have. Our kids are great givers. This is how God intends it to be in the spiritual life. We pray and lay ourselves out before God. God comes through with himself. And having been surprised, Lord willing, at the graciousness and provision for God, of God again and again, then we find a way to winningly pass on what we know and what we receive. Jesus' last line in, these, in teaching his disciples how to pray is this. If you then, even though you are evil, again, I think Jesus maybe says this with a little gleam in his eye, even though you are evil, if y'all know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke loves to mention the Holy Spirit. This is the first time, 11 chapters into the Gospel of Luke, that he uses the words, the Holy Spirit. After this, and in the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote, he can't shut up about the Holy Spirit, but this is the first time. And it's Jesus saying when it comes to prayer, the ultimate answer to prayer is God giving you himself, his spiritual presence, the Holy Spirit who you can't escape. Even humanly speaking, when kids raise their hands and ask why, they're actually asking about something deeper. I'm going to quote to you from a guy named, oh, this is a great picture. You see the kid on the back right who's like reaching out with both hands? <laughs> like that, that's an even better picture of prayer. I'm going to quote to you uh, from a guy named Dr. Alan Green. Kids ask why about everything, right? Why is the sky blue? Why are there clouds? Why can't I go outside now? Why do I have to be nice? Sometimes it doesn't matter what the answer is. A child will not be satisfied by your immediate answer. This exasperates me as a parent and as a doctor. How do I handle these questions? Sometimes the insistent question of my own child is a bit like the drip, drip, drip of ancient water torture. But after conversing with thousands of children, I've decided that what they really mean is, this is interesting to me. Let's talk more about this together. Could you tell me more, please? When I've connected with children and begun to spin a tale in answer to their why question, they always sit enthralled. There was no need to mention a because or a therefore or an effect. They don't really need to know why. All they need is my or an adult's 
animated attention with me saying whatever comes to mind on the subject. And after talking for a few minutes, we're both happy. I think this is an awesome picture of prayer. And even the tough prayers and why questions we ask. Let me give you one example, says Dr. Green. I remember when one of my own kids asked me why the sky was blue. I told him, on sunny days, the sky is blue, and then on cloudy days, it gets kind of gray, and at night, it gets very, very deep and dark. Sometimes, in between day and night, it's a beautiful pink or orange, and there are so many other cool things in the sky. The sun that gives us heat and light, and the st- which is like stars, only the sun is closer, and there's planets that go around the sun, and we live on one of these planets. It's called the Earth. And then my son hugged me and went off to play. Like, this started with, why is the sky, why is the sky blue? Not looking for information. Not looking for explanation. Reading between the lines, it's like, will you tell me a story? Will you be with me? Will you talk with me? And even though we grow up, friends, even though we are filled with such wonderful knowledge of the world, even though we attain such skills... I don't have a better explanation of the life of prayer than what little kids do when they raise their hand and say why. I mean, what we really need at the end of the day is not a bigger brain, is not 20% better skill set. What we really need at the end of the day, I would humbly submit to you, is an awareness that God is good and desires to be with us and on our side and that he is telling us a good, good story about how it all fits together. So I raise my hand, God, and I thank you that you do speak, that you gave us the words of Jesus, that you gave us the person and the presence of Jesus, that instead of just answering all our questions and wonderings, you are so good and understanding and awesome that you give us yourself. Help us pattern our life and times, even our school days, in such a way that we can be open to your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, in just a moment, uh, we're going to receive an offering. Um, I would hold up for you once again the example of our kids in the basement who even though their kids take such delight in giving toward our friend Harriet. Uh, two short announcements about a week from today. August 20, seven days from now. Uh, if you come at 10 o'clock, uh, that would be only kind of a good time to come. We're going to have a worship service at 9 and a worship service at 10.30. There will be coffee at 10, but not much of a worship service at 10. So got it? We're back to our normal year routine 9 and 10.30 as of next Sunday. Um, also next week at 4.30 in the afternoon, we are going to have a big party um, out on the south side of this building. Live music, bounce house, grilling, barbecuing. Uh, the whole point of this party is just to let everybody know, both inside this church and out in our neighborhood, that we are open. Like, the school year is starting. We are back in normal business We are open, and we're having a big party simply to communicate that message. Would love it if uh, you are able to come. Good time to meet some folks and uh, enjoy some music and food. So 
invited to that. Band is going to play. I invite you as the people of God to be generous.